0: Sean just shared a little bit about um, our family, and some of you guys follow us. Some of you guys pray for us, and we just want to say thanks again for doing that. If you're interested in following us, uh, right now we on Facebook we have a thing called Let It Go uh, with Riley, uh, and so kind of our journey with Riley's disability and her complex care. So if you want to follow that, it's a fun thing. That my my wife's an incredible communicator in the by the pen. She can write. Uh, I tell her I'm like, I try to get her to write all my stuff because I speak better than I write. Um, So I let her do some of that stuff. But uh, thanks again for praying for us. Thanks again for giving to the Great Commission Fund. And this is a Great Commission Fund giving church. Uh, And the ways that we're able to do these things, not only in the U.S., but around the world, is because you guys are faithful in giving and praying for us. And so uh, Sean is correct. I have a chance, as I serve in the city of Cleveland uh, full time, but work part time for the national office of the CMA and oversee some of our domestic sites. And some people say, what does that mean? Well, I play a consulting uh, development role in just trying to start sites, helping them to gain strategy and how they're trying to reach their communities. And I share people with this of like, why domestic work? I was just talking to the Hmong district, uh, uh, Missions Mobilizer, a couple weeks ago, and he goes, so why domestic? And I said, well, the CMA uh, has engaged the local church really well over the years. You know, even leading from A.B. Simpson, our founder, we've always done church really well. We've engaged our community that looks like us, that we tend to gather really well. We have great church services in reaching those that look like us. And I would say that we've engaged the world really well. And I I mean the world going across to the uttermost parts, the jungles of Africa, to Indonesia, to the Balin Valley, uh, places that you know, the Noels, or in deep places of Indonesia, and places like that. Um, but I would say that, uh, and this is from our president Stumbo and Tim Crouch, our vice president, that we've actually kind of struggled in those Judea and Samaria areas. And we look at Acts 1-8, and I say domestics are the, one of the greatest places to engage the Samarias. The people that don't tend to look like us, that tend to, that have different perspectives and things like that. And so domestic sites really have had a huge opportunity to develop leaders in places like Judea or Samaria. And so my job is to really help our leaders to find strategies on how to reach people that don't know Christ, that don't look like them, but also develop leaders out of those contexts. And so that's a little bit about how we do stuff in the domestic world. Um, And just to start off, there's, uh, as we go, we're gonna be in Acts 11, so if you wanna go ahead and start getting there. We'll be in Acts 11 this morning. as, a, as some of our domestic sites, we have them all over the U.S. Uh, but I was visiting one not too long ago in Watts, California. You guys know more of L.A., Los Angeles. Uh, in Los Angeles, we think of movie stars, Hollywood, uh, 8. Million, eight you know, I mean eight million plus people in that city. Um, you don't think about Watts a whole lot, you know. I grew up learning about Compton and places like Watts from Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. That was the place that stuff I was snuck and listened to. Right, you know, I wasn't supposed to listen to that. So Super Bowl, my mom's like, "Did you like Super Bowl?" I'm like, "Yeah, I loved it." And she's like, "You know that kind of music?" Yes, mom, I listened to it in high school. I'm sorry, uh, but you you think of those places. That's you know, Watts is one of those places. Where is the tough place. It's home to one of the largest uh, government housing. Uh, Places in all of California and uh, all of the country And it used to be the old World War II barracks where soldiers would stay and so now there are housing developments or projects for people majority in uh, African-American Hispanic uh, So lots of gang activity lots of things are going on in that area Um, And so one day a couple uh, by uh, name of Todd and Jennifer Grant decided to leave uh, Northeast Ohio and we're going to Watts, California and so I always share is like they were the whitest of white people going to a neighborhood that would look very differently than they did and had different uh, things that they believed in. But they felt a calling to go to Watts because they saw that the, the, the people of Watts needed to hear about Jesus. And they lived, they moved right in next door to where their center is at and they are still running that out. Jen has passed away, she died of cancer a few years ago. And so you would think, oh, Todd's going to move back home. Well, Todd says, no, I'm staying. They're raising six kids in Watts, California and engaging the neighborhood there. And the reason I knew that story, I knew a little bit about Todd and Jennifer, but I was talking to Daryl. Daryl being a gentleman that had lived in Watts his whole life uh, and had a, a story and a journey of his own that wasn't the bright, sunshiny lights of California. It was the dark stories of the hood, he would say. It was him getting involved in drugs and getting involved in different kinds of crime and having shoot, and shootings and things like that. Even to the point where he was involved in some, types, in some kind of murder. Now, it's like he did it, but he was a part of those things. So he's telling me a story, and he says, but then there's this white guy from Ohio that showed up. His name was Todd, and began to engage with me and began to tell me a new story of what my life could be. Daryl's now one of the church leaders at Powerhouse Church, And I saw him in a picture just three weeks ago leading over 100 people up to Big Bear for a big outing with Todd Grant. So why do I share that story? It's because Todd and Jen decided, I'm going to actually join with the Lord in taking the gospel to a people that desperately need him. Now, Watts, California is not necessarily a special place, but it's one of those places that most of us tend to say, well, we're not going to go there. And I would say that in this story that we're going to learn about today with Peter, it was crazy because it was not even that risky of a thing for him. But in his mind, it was risky of actually leaving his Jewish brothers and sisters to go to the Gentiles. So if you'll join me, let's look at chapter 11 this morning. In verse 1, I'll read and then we'll take some time and look over some reflections I'd like to share with you. Chapter 11, verse 1. By its four corners, and it came to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals, beasts of prey, and reptiles, and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill, and eat. Now, for a barbecue guy, that was really a great dream, huh? (laughs) Verse 8 But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinctions. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in the house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who was called Peter. Peter. He would declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and your whole household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, if then God gave them the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Lord, I pray as we take a few moments to reflect on this passage, the, the report that Peter is giving uh, back to the church, may you challenge our hearts. May your Holy Spirit flow freely through me uh, and deliver the message that you would have your people here this morning. And we give you this time, and we ask that you're very much present with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So the reality is, is that Peter uh, is coming to the church and telling the story. In chapter 10, you can read the details of Peter's account with or Cornelius and his family. But the author of Acts, Luke, decides, hey, we're gonna, <laughs> I'm going to tell the story twice in some ways. Which means you probably should look around and say, hey, this is probably pretty important, right? So we see Peter's account in chapter 10, but Peter now is coming back to the church uh, to give this report. And he's giving this report because the church leaders are actually kind of calling him to the carpet. Like, hey, we heard that you were hanging out with people that don't look like us. That basically the uncircumcised. You're be hanging out with them. Right? And so if you know the context, Jews and Gentiles have not really ever gotten along and they're not going to continue to get along for a long time. And there's even times, we see that even today, that's not getting along very well. So this is a historical thing that we're continuing to battle. But at this point, uh, Peter, growing up as a Jewish boy, went to Jewish school probably, was taught by leaders of the Jewish faith, is now coming back and reporting, saying, hey, I went and hung out with some people that were called Gentiles. And the church, of all the places, is questioning him of what God asked him to do. But that's the context that we're at. Peter's account is pretty interesting is that we see the culture of that, but then we also see the reaction of the church leadership. And how do we say, oh, Paul, what does that mean about today? Well, the reality is, as we go through this story today, I see a lot of similarities in some of the ways that we do church and going to reach the world of saying, oh, no, that person can't obviously know Christ, or they don't have a chance of knowing Christ, they're hopeless. And we talk about that in our sites when we have teams coming in. That some people look at Cleveland as a hopeless situation. I would say, no, it's just a city without hope. It's not hopeless. It just doesn't have hope because they haven't found Christ. Amen. So as we look at the reflections this morning, that's kind of the context of where we're at, and I would say, as I share this morning, from my context in the city of Cleveland, you're gonna get a lot of that. The people that we interact with um, may be different from here in Brunswick or in Strongsville and the surrounding areas, but there are people around that you would probably stay clear of for a number of different reasons. But we're going to talk about that. But I just want you to understand that my stories are coming from places of my own account in Cleveland. And you can probably put some of your accounts as well. But the first reflection I'd like to share with us this morning, as we've looked at this passage and we've seen Peter and who he is, is the reality is that God is in the business of changing our lives for his purposes Peter, like I said before, grew up as a Jewish boy and probably was developed as a uh, Jewish leader of some sort. So he knew the word. If you guys have been watching The Chosen at all, uh, that uh, movie that's out right now, it's a great way to kind of depict on how kind of Peter got where he was at, kind of get an idea of who Peter was, uh, not only as a man, but probably what led up to him being a man. But Peter's journey uh, has not always been the bright, shiny colors, Right. Him always stepping in and doing the right thing. We actually read about Peter doing a lot of the things that he wasn't supposed to do. But what was cool about Peter is that Peter uh, was in the business of being more like Christ. His journey has taken him. He wanted to be developed. And so, as we look at this passage this morning and reflect, and the big challenge as we walk away from this is probably going to be go out and hang out with people that need Jesus. But I would say first and foremost. God is in the business of changing our lives for his purposes. And if that's, the, if that's the point, you can walk out of here this morning and go out and do missions without Jesus and it will be not impactful. Jesus wants to impact your heart first. And as he's impacting your heart, he will begin to change you for his greater purposes. See, as we look at that and Peter, and the way I can see that is that when Peter is going on this journey with the Lord, it means being close and being present with the Lord. As we've seen Peter, he's been walking with the Lord since he was called as a disciple. We see that he has gotten mad when, when people are trying to mess up what Jesus is doing, right? And what does Jesus always say? Peter, calm down. I got this. Right? Even to the point where Peter denies Christ three times. But what has happened when Jesus comes back in the in the book of John, then of John, he restores Peter again. He says, Hey, come over here after they made a fire and they're doing breakfast and he asked Peter, do you love me? He asked him three times. And as we see that, we actually get a great picture of then Peter finally getting it, oh, he really does love me and he's asking me to follow him. If we wanna be people that wanna be on our journey and being changed for his purposes, we have to be close and be present with the Lord. These kind of stories, especially in chapter 10 and 11 of Acts, would not have taken place if he had not been with Jesus and walked with Jesus and saw Jesus out and how he worked. He was close with Jesus, and so when the Lord comes to him and says, go do something crazy in his mind, especially culturally, he says, okay, because he knows the Lord's not gonna ask anything that he can't take him to do. If we wanna be people that wanna be uh, lives that are being changed for his purposes, it means seeking and taking hold of truth. See, the thing is, is that Peter, even in the moment where he saw this vision, what was his first response? Whoa, God, I can't do that. He says, go kill, eat. And his first response is like, not, okay, God, whatever you say. What was it? No, I can't eat common things. I can't hang out with common people. He didn't just go quickly, but he said, okay, God, let me tell you. But then then God responded back to him and said, no, I want you to go. And Peter's response then was, okay. Because God was changing the true story in his life. Yes, I know, Peter, what you've been dealing with. I know that your people group have always had these traditions and all these rules. But now I am the Lord. I am Jesus. I have changed things so that you can go do that. See, it wasn't this manufactured thing by man. It was by God saying, I have changed you, Peter. I have changed the rules. Now this is the way you should live your life. If we're not sitting close with Jesus and we're not spending quality time with him, it's going to be hard for us to trust the Lord in the truth statements that he wants because we're like, whoa, whoa, I don't really know you, God. So you have those work together? So if we want to be people that are wanting to be changed, our lives to be changed for God's purposes and ultimately for his glory... We have to be close and present, and we have to be seeking and taking hold of the truth that the Lord provides for us. The second reflection as we look at this story of Peter's account to them and to the leaders is that when we hear from the Lord, it is followed by obedience. See, being present with the Lord, taking hold of the truth is followed by obedience. Peter questioned it first, but ultimately said, okay, God, whatever you ask me to do, I'll do it against all the things that have been happening. The reality is it takes practice and it takes discipline. I think as I look at Peter's life, it's taken a lot of practice for Peter to say, okay, Jesus. Because his first response has always been, nope, I can't do it that way. Oh, do you know Jesus? No, I don't know him. Do you know Jesus? No, I don't know him. But it takes practice and it takes discipline. And we see Peter, and we'll see Peter to the end of his life, continue to say yes, Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. But the reality is when we hear from the Lord, it is followed by obedience. It takes practice and it takes discipline. Church, I can sit up here and tell you that I've done everything right. Every time God has said to move, I've moved. But I would be lying. Because it's not always easy. It gets scary. It's not comfortable. I don't want to do that. But I have found that as I continue to say yes, the easier it has been to follow the Lord and what he's asked me to do. Even when the big things happen. When we hear from the Lord and it's followed by obedience, it comes more regular as we do it. And you may be saying, Paul, like, I can do that, but what if I don't know what to say? And we see in this passage, we actually we go back to verse 10, uh, or chapter 10 and verse 33 and 34. Uh, Peter is worried, like, what am I going to say? But the, what the Lord says, you go and I'll tell you my message and you will speak. See, the thing is, a lot of times, if we're honest with ourselves, we got to figure out, what what can actually say to this person? i got to figure out this whole process and how I'm going to talk to this person that doesn't know Jesus. But sometimes it's just the reality of saying, the Lord's saying, hey, you go, you go speak, and I'll give you the message to say. A lot easier to depend on the Lord's message than our own manufactured message. When we hear from the Lord, it's followed by obedience. In this passage, uh, the third reflection is the gospel... This message as we see is for all people. And the crazy thing is, is that it leads to repentance, it leads to life. And I'll be honest, as I look at this gospel is for all people, it doesn't matter ethnicity, it doesn't matter social status, what we believe, what we don't believe. It takes being around people and being present with people that don't look like us, that don't share the same values as us. That's what he's saying. I want that gospel for all those people. At Envision Cleveland, our core value is that every person matters. And we see right here, because Peter historically said, no, this, this, this gospel or this message of God has been for the Jewish people. This is a new horizon, things are changing. Now you're saying it's not just for us anymore. It's for everybody else as well. You're inviting them to come and join a part of the family. The gospel is for all people. And it's crazy when I say that in the the very end of the, I'm sorry, in uh, verse 18, there at the end it says, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. When I struggle with this concept, because there's times in my own life that I don't want to engage in some of those people. I was sharing the story before uh, the first service, is that there was a gentleman, the Lord said, I want you to go speak to this person, I want you to hang out with him, I want you to engage in him, and I said, no God, I don't want to. Because I knew what it was gonna lead to. It was gonna lead to frustrations, it was gonna lead to uh, him calling me at different times, and so I just said, no. I don't wanna do that right now. And the, it's crazy, is because the pastor, the church that we're a part of in Old Brooklyn there, uh, he said, hey, so-and-so wants to know if I can give you his number. I said, no, don't give him my number. He's like, well, I already did. (laughs) So I'm like, oh, I guess I can't get away with it, right? But the reality is that that person needed to hear the gospel. And in my thinking of like, I have saw this man, I've seen what he's done, I see the life that he lives, I already almost wrote him off. He wasn't worth my time. He wasn't worth God's time. But the reality is that gospel is for all people. A young lady that's been coming into one of my partner organization's uh, buildings for the past three or four years. Uh, she came in and uh, she's probably one of the toughest people I've met in Cleveland. Meaning that if we were going to get in a fight somewhere, I would want her to be on my team. Um, and she's, if you just give you a brief uh, description of her, she's pretty stocky, strong though, like strong. And she's tatted all up uh, down her arms, all over her neck. She has piercings different places. Um, and the first time I met her, she was wearing a shirt that said, F, you want it. Um, and so you can imagine like, oh, that's a big statement for somebody, right? And our natural reaction to somebody like her would be, there's no chance. I just see, I, I, I make this impression like she is not worth it. She's never going to listen. But the Lord said in my mind, because I, I, when I look at somebody, sometimes I'll go, man, the Lord really wants her. The Lord wants uh, her to know him in a new way. And so I didn't get my fourfold gospel out. I didn't get my track out. But again, just to say, hey, my name is, and I began to engage with her. And I asked her about her shirt. Like, hey, man, are you telling me that? Are you telling me to F off? She goes, no, no, man. I'm like, then why are you wearing the shirt? And as I begin to learn her story and understand who she was, there's a reason why she's wearing the story, because she doesn't want anybody to mess with her. Because the pain and things that she's gone through, it's much, much easier to wear shirts like that to keep people at a distance. The gospel church is for her. She's put up the barriers for us not to do that. And I still today, now I haven't, have I prayed to, uh, has she prayed the prayer to know Christ as her personal Savior? Not yet. But she is involved in what we're doing. She's walking with us. And we can begin to give a new identity to her. Because we were willing to say, you know what? I see that. In my mind going, there's no way. But God's going, yes, there is a way. Step into that. Step into that. Because the gospel is for all people. The fourth reflection And it kind of goes with uh, reflection number three is that the Holy Spirit really wants to fall on all people in all places. It's interesting that Cornelius at the same time was seeing a vision, the same time that Peter was seeing a vision. Isn't it cool how God kind of orchestrates those things? And Peter goes to this man's house and it says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on Cornelius and his whole family. Guess what? It wasn't in the church. It was actually at Cornelius' house. The reality is, church, is that the Holy Spirit wants to fall on people that are not just here. We tend to think that the Holy Spirit only resides here in the building. But he resides in our lives, and our hearts. And he wants to reside in people's lives that are outside of this building. We are to be vessels for the Holy Spirit to work through. As Peter was reminded, John baptized him with water, but you will baptize him with the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit to take to a neighborhood. You have the Holy Spirit to take to an individual at work. You have the Holy Spirit to take to somebody you go to school with. You are that vessel. The reality is, is that Holy Spirit can do more than we can ever imagine. It can take the F you and turn into I love you. It can turn it into things in neighborhoods that I say, I, we could never have an impact here, and the Lord is doing crazy things. Now the USDA is giving us money. The casino funds are giving us money because they just want to see what we're doing. Crazy, huh? I just got a grant from the casino funds of Cleveland to put into a vocational center where people are going to hear about Jesus every single day, because the Holy Spirit can do more than like we could ever imagine. And the reality is, it doesn't just happen in church. And the reality is, is I love coming to services like this, even this morning, listening to worship and worshiping with you. But man, I long for that for my friends that don't know Jesus. I want them to experience the Holy Spirit in that way. And for many of them, they're never gonna come to your church. But they will come to my house. They will come to a rec center. They will come to a vocational center. How do I know that? It's because we have a volunteer right now that's 66 years old, and he had been, having, he retired, uh, he used to be a construction guy, used to do all kinds of handyman type stuff. And he found us on the website, of all places, he says, hey, I should go check out this place. And he'd already tried some different things in the neighborhood of Mount Pleasant. But he came to us, uh, and through a mutual friend, we talked about it, he goes, hey, I'm interested in maybe coming and hanging out with you guys, seeing what you guys do, I, I love to teach, I wanna teach about construction and those kind of things. And so we always entertain anybody. Anybody wants to come around. And so our first meeting uh, with him, he's like, "Hey, uh, I'm coming in. I can bring a lot of skill set, but I just need you to know, I'm an atheist and agnostic. I don't believe in that stuff." And we're like, "Okay, no problem." And I think much to most of his surprise, he's like, "What?" I'm like, "Yeah, if you want to come and hang out and see what's going on." Now this gentleman's been with us for the past six months. He's given us his van. Uh, work van, he's giving us all of his tools and says, hey, I'm all in. I want to be a part of what you guys are doing. And he goes, but still, I'm an atheist and agnostic. But what's crazy is that lunch meetings, working around together, having volunteers coming in and working from churches like yours, um, he's beginning to stop and goes, hey, uh, my last meeting was like two weeks with him at a breakfast meeting and I was getting the van title from him and I prayed for him. Uh, for breakfast and praying blessings over his life, he goes, I'm starting to believe there's, I don't believe in God yet, but there's some kind of higher power because you guys are different. And so now he's coming to work. He volunteers three days a week for like six or eight hours a day. And most of that time, he's just sitting around asking questions. Well, what about this? Well, what about this? And I'm here to tell you that this man, 66 years old, is just looking for Identity. He wants to fit in somewhere, and he's tried everything. He's been divorced, he has a drinking problem, and he doesn't believe in God, but he wants to believe. He wants to belong. And the reality is, his vision could have said, "No, what, you don't know Jesus. You can't be around other volunteers. You can't be around teams that are volunteering on a weekly basis. We could have done that. But we decided, you know what, we see God working in this guy's life. He now gets a report of the calendar every, day, every week and he shows up. He's coming to trainings that we do for our teams. So pray for him. I'm not going to tell you his name because we are live streaming, but pray for him. Because the reality is the Holy Spirit wants to fall on him. A young boy that grew up in a Catholic church that was abused by Catholic priests, Jesus wants to restore that. And we're saying that the Holy Spirit can do that in his life. The reality is is that Paul's not doing anything, Tom's not doing anything, but the Lord is working on this man's life in a way because we said, okay, we're going to do this because we believe the gospel is for all people. And the Holy Spirit wants to fall on all people as well. Reflection five and more of a challenge as we read verse 17 uh, there in chapter 11, it says this, if then God gave, this is what Peter's saying, if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us, he's referring, hey, if we receive the gospel, we received Jesus and the, the goodness of who Jesus is and the forgiveness and salvation of Jesus uh, in Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? He's telling, who am I to stand in the way of what God wants to do? That's what his conclusion was. Yes, it doesn't make sense that I would leave the Jewish culture and what we all believe for all these hundreds of years and thousands of years. Why would I leave that and go hang out with Gentiles? But who am I to stand in the way what God wants to do? I'm either going to get on board or I'm not going to, get, I'm not, I'm going to stay in the way. I'm not standing in the way. Amen. Church, we cannot get st- stuck standing in the way because of what we think is the right thing. The reality is, what does that look like? One of the we hold on to tradition so tightly... That it keeps us from actually being gospel bearers and people that we're gonna carry the Holy Spirit to people. The reality is, if we're honest, bad Christianity has continued to keep people from knowing Christ because of bad Christianity. It was, some of these things are not intentional, but they've crept into the church that says you should not go hang out with that. I was just in a place not too long ago of an organization, as we're having a chapel service. And I started watching people walk across the back of this, uh, the parking lot. And I said, hey, we should probably, we should get people to move into that neighborhood. And this is what the person said. You know how dangerous it is over there? We can't go over and talk to them about Jesus. What about us? Bad Christianity, folks. Because we look at the people's outside and we say, no, what? They're not, gonna, they're not worth it. But we're standing in the way. It's our biases. It's not the way we've always done it. I tell churches all around that I've spoken over the the past few years. The reality, church, is that people are not coming to the church in droves anymore. They're not getting excited about always coming to church all the time, and especially in the urban environment of Cleveland, Ohio, people are not going, hey, let's go to church, let's go to church, let's go to church. They're saying, get away from me, church. A lady that I work with, I think I've told her here this church before, she told me, she goes, Paul, there's 256 churches in my neighborhood and I don't trust any of them. How do we respond to that? Go to them. Don't get in the way because we've always done church a certain way. We've got to get outside of our walls. You, the church, are an organism. You're not just an organization that stays inside the walls. You're an organization that moves. And you have the Holy Spirit that you can take. And the reality is, church, is it's going to be uncomfortable. Those two stories, the three stories I've told you, they haven't always been comfortable. I was praying for this gentleman on the way down I just shared the story about this morning. And do I share this information with him? Because I don't know if I really trust it yet. It's not comfortable. But I'm glad that the Lord is pushing those things because the Lord knows what he's doing. So please don't get stuck. Don't get caught standing in the way of what God wants to do. As Peter reminds us right here. And the sixth thing, if we can begin to implement some of these things and and taking on these reflections, the reality is in the awesomeness of how testimony is driven here, the Holy Spirit-driven testimony encourages and challenges others. You may be wondering, Paul, why didn't we talk about chapter 10 where it goes in the details of the whole encounter with what Peter and Cornelius was dealing with. It's a great story, but I liked chapter 11 because it was now Peter's account back to the church. The men that were saying, I don't trust you, why are you doing that? In the response of these leadership, in the very end of this, in verse 18, when they heard these things, they got all mad. And they're saying, oh, you're such a crazy guy. No, he says, when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God. The very people that were probably the people he looked up to growing up as a young boy and even as a young adult, they're saying, whoosh, that had to be God. It was Peter's testimony, it was his obedience, it was him being used by the Holy Spirit to go do this, and as he reports back to the church, he began to change the mindset of that church. And we know that many more people will continue to know who God was because of Peter's leadership and his experience and those kind of things and so I say that to us as we take hold of these things we are people like Peter that says you know what I don't get it but I'm going to trust you God because you told me to do these things I'm going to trust that people begin to start uh, their lives begin to change we come back and tell stories this church hope will be different because you'll get excited I always tell people well, this is the direction we're going to go and the reality is the people that don't want to be on the train are probably going to get jealous and join the train later so let's just keep going and I'm, counten- I'm here to encourage you and challenge you to get on the train and keep going. Because we have a world that desperately needs to hear about Jesus. And as you experience those, we pray that you will tell those stories that will encourage because it will challenge the church to be more than they can ever imagine. Church, please do not block the gift that the Lord has made available to all people because you're uncomfortable, because it's not the way you've always done it. My prayer for you as I was praying for you on the way down this morning was that you would hear the deep love that Jesus has for you. We see that in Peter. Peter, of all the people, could have walked away and said, I wasn't good enough. I kept saying the wrong things. I kept not listening to what Jesus said, but he finally got it because he experienced the love that Jesus had for him. And as you experience that, don't hold on to that. Long for these moments where you're spending time with the Lord because your friend doesn't have access to that, but you can give him access to that or her her to that. Don't stand in the way of what God wants to be doing in your life and in people's lives. Lord, thank you again for this morning. It is Peter that I seem to relate to more, more and more in my own journey. And so, Lord, I pray as we... I've taken note of this passage and the testimony of Peter to the church leadership. May you encourage us, may you challenge us to be people that want to be deeply in love with you. It always goes back to that, right? It always goes back to we want to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind and love our neighbors ourselves. So will you help us. Will you remove those things that may be in our lives even currently that are keeping us from experiencing all of who you are and the truth that you have for us? And will you then move forward in giving us courage to engage people that are right around us? The people that look different than us? The people that we've already written off because we think there's no chance? Will you give us courage to speak? Will you give us courage to join with you and not block what you want to do? We're thankful that the change in people's lives is not dependent on us. But you do ask us to show up and to be present. So help us to be present with a message that can change the world. Because we can see in our own lives, have you changed us? May we be excited to take that message and not get caught standing in the way. In Jesus' name, amen.